Just relax. Going to take a trip back through time. This won't hurt a bit. Ah! Oh, whoa. Okay. So we are in October of 2018. Man, time travel really gives you whiplash. Anyway, we are here in 2018. There's Paul Stanley walking in. And I see myself talking to him about art, about the KISS farewell tour, and a new book, and all kinds of cool things. Wow, that's, that was an amazing memory. I can see it now. You were here with, as part of the Wentworth Gallery uh, presentation. You've been painting for a number of years. Yeah. Tell us, uh, you know, how you're feeling meeting the fans as they uh, take a look at your work there. I'm a big, big believer that um, people need to understand that they don't have to justify their opinion. They don't need to have a qualified opinion. You don't have to have an educated opinion. So um, although the more uh, uh, important pieces, so to speak, go to collectors, and I'm very proud to be hanging on the wall with artists who I, I respect, um, people who have never been to a gallery can certainly come and uh, find something they would like rather than tearing a page out of a magazine and hanging that on the wall. Um, it's just important for people to realize that an opinion is valid because it's theirs and it doesn't need to, to be justified. So for me, art has been amazing uh, because I've managed to perhaps introduce people who don't know anything about art to it. and. Uh, on the other hand, uh, the serious collectors and, and people who uh, acquire the more important pieces have also, in, in a sense, validated what I'm doing by uh, putting their, the pieces in their homes and embracing my art. So it's been incredible for me. You express yourself as an artist musically, of course. Is it different doing it uh, as a painter as, as well? It is different. It's different because there's less... Uh, I think there's less time thinking about um, the the multi-structure of it. In other words, when I write a song, I'm dealing with music, I'm dealing with melody, I'm dealing with rhyme scheme. Uh, with with painting, I, I have much more of a feeling of uh, freedom, and uh, it's 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 very cathartic. And I've always approached everything I do with the sense that. Don't second-guess anybody, whether it's music, art, writing a book. I had a New York Times number two bestseller that's in six <laughs> languages, and second book is uh, imminent. So for me, it's always been about if I do something to please myself, I'll please other people. Invariably, that's what happens. Uh, lo and behold, these Puma shoes came out. Uh, I did uh, a line of shoes for Puma this past month and uh, sold out around the world the next day. So, yes, being who I am certainly can open the door, but it will only open the door so many times unless there's something credible there. So this is 50 years. So I must be doing something right. Looks like the animal eyes cover. Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it does. It's got uh, different furs and then there's some other variations, and I'll be doing clothes and other stuff. So I define myself by the challenges I take on and by finding creative outlets. Um, to me, that's what life's all about. 
You mentioned the second book. Can I ask you about that? Or yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Second book is almost, in a sense, a companion to the first. And maybe what it goes into more is how I accomplished what I've accomplished and what I do, uh, what my approach is. I'm certainly not preaching to people or telling people, do this, but I think people can get some insight into what's possible for them by seeing what I've done. I, I don't think uh, we accomplish much by, by telling people, if I were you, I would do, because when you do that, first of all, you go, well, you're not me. You, you've never lived a moment in my shoes, even if they're pumas. Um, so much more important that you figure out for yourself. But I think we can all learn something from what other people do. So what I've tried to do in the book is express my point of view and how I got from point A all the way to point Z. I wanted to ask you, uh, well, I know you were tight on time, one last question about Kiss. You had a big announcement, obviously, yes. with the end of the road. Um, tell us, you obviously don't want to give anything away, but I mean, how this is going to be massive. We're talking several, three years, I think, right? It could be. It, it certainly could be. It really is like a victory lap. It would be very easy for us to do a tour and then over a year or two later just go, eh, we're not going to go out anymore. But we deserve to go out and to have a final goodbye and to do things in a style that only we can. You can go see Kiss DNA in every show you go to see of any band, but you can't be Kiss. So for us to be able to go out there and do the biggest ultimate Kiss show that we've ever done is really our way of celebrating what we've done with the people who made it possible. We've seen you around with some of the former members from time to time in recent years. Any chance they might come out and say hello to the folks? The, there's no reason uh, that I, I would rule anything like that out because this is really a celebration of what the band has accomplished. Not any lineup, not any individual, but over the past 45 years or so, people have come and gone and people have been a part of it. And uh, to exclude people, I, I, I don't see a reason to. In a world entrenched in darkness, desperately seeking hope and security, a coalition of nations invoke a highly classified program, commissioned by their ancestors generations ago, for such a time when all else has failed. They called for but one man to light the flame, to carry the torch, which is really a guitar, ready to blast the battle cry. Behold, the time has come for Rock and Roll. It was one of the coolest moments ever for me. It really was, sitting down with Paul Stanley. That couch, when I pass it, I call it the Paul Stanley couch. It was one of the most amazing, coolest moments ever to sit down with a musician I love, I truly respect his creativity, the attitude that is kissed, the fearless, uh, sort of, uh, you know, rebellious. I've never really been too rebellious myself, but I, I get the spirit of it. That's what rock and roll is. The spirit of rock and roll, that's Kiss. That is Paul Stanley, someone who's been with the band since the inception, never quit. I, I think that to me is one of the most amazing things that he has been there from the start. 
and from 72 onwards, never, you know, other people have come and gone as he talked about, but to, you know, that continuity is a huge, huge thing. By the way, welcome in to the always bustling downtown Philadelphia studios. It is Rock of Nations with Dave Kinchin continuing our holiday series, uh, a talk about all things, uh, just kind of like rock and roll, all things great and fun. Um, I was digging through the archives and I said, you know, and you like the way we set that up, you know? Boy, I tell you, traveling back in time, <laughs> it really is something. <laughs> you know, you don't really, you, you kind of feel like you just, you were you were on a roller coaster or, or something. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's the strangest thing ever. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I was digging through the archives and every time, there, there's that interview and there's a picture I have. Um, and I, I will admit that I did use a little bit of a filter on it for Instagram, my favorite version of the picture. It's just so, it's, a, it's just so cool. It's kind of, it looks like it's a little bit dimly lit, even though the room was actually well lit. It's just a cool photo, you know. It's it's something that I, I should frame. I haven't, but I, I should frame. It's one of my. I just you know one of the one of the highlights of um, of being a journalist, but also being a, a music journalist too, which I've been doing for a few years now. Really off and on since uh, since like you know twelve years ago, I guess. But um, no, off and on since two thousand five, maybe. Well, I don't know. We, we go back a ways. Um, but it's such a blast to to um, listen to that again and share that with you and, uh, and you know, set it up in a fun way, too. Uh, so, yeah, I um, I go back to that because, um, you know, KISS is still there in Europe. Uh, they're about to wrap up the European leg of uh, this round of their um, end of the road tour. Or if they haven't, they're getting close to it. So, yeah, I just, uh, I've been seeing, you know, seeing this footage of the band all around the world and thinking, how cool is that? How cool is it to have, you know, been able to sort of preview of that tour? So the backstory behind all of that, by the way, was that Paul Stanley was in the Philadelphia area um, going to Philly, uh, to King of Prussia, uh, which is a suburb of Philadelphia. There's a huge mall out there, the King of Prussia Mall, and a Wentworth Gallery there and in Atlantic City on the boardwalk or near the boardwalk. And for the for the last few years, he's been doing, uh, well, last several years, he's been painting. And for the last few years, he's been going to the Wentworth Galleries. And he's been uh, showcasing his art at exhibits around the country. Uh, and I remember going to the mall and, and walking by saying, wow, he has some really cool paintings. And he's up there, Rick Allen uh, from Def Leppard. That was the reason we talked with him when he was in town. Uh, Rick Ocasek from The Cars, uh, who we unfortunately missed last time he was in town. But uh, same kind of thing. You know, these guys, you know, they, they just, they have the art of the ear and the hands for music, listening to it and playing it and, the, and writing it, and then strictly with their hands with art and, and, and production. And, and it's just, you know, it's, it's really incredible to see creative people be creative in a different way. And uh, so we had a chance to sit down with Paul Stanley and talk about that. So you heard him talking about uh, that version of the... Um, that part of the interview was before his Philadelphia stop, if I remember correctly, because he had the Philadelphia stop on a Friday, I believe that was on a Friday, and then he had a stop on Saturday in Atlantic City. I, you know, if memory serves me correctly, usually that's how it was done. So, but there were other things going on. He had a second book coming out, Backstage Pass, which uh, we got to talk about, as you heard there, and uh, the End of the Road Kiss Tour, which did not start up at that point. The dates were set for, I want to say, March in Philadelphia. So, you know, and, and, that was a tour at that point 
there were all these questions about who was going to play on the tour. There were all these questions about who was going to play, who's going to come out with the band, and um, you know whether Ace is going to come back or Peter. And again, as you heard, he was leaving the door open. So far, none of that's happened, as far as I know. Ace got on stage with the band um, dur during an acoustic set for the Kiss Cruise, but that was really it. That was the last time Ace had been with the band, and. I think a lot of fans have said, you know, what's going on? Are we going to get some of these guys back there? So I always go back to that interview because, you know, see, Paul Stanley, you did say this, and we haven't seen anything happen yet. Peter Chris is older, retired, uh, did that show at the Cutting Room in uh, New York City a few, maybe three, four years ago, retired, and he hasn't really done anything since. He went out with Gene Simmons to promote the Gene Simmons Vault project, but... Um, yeah, we haven't really seen Peter anywhere. And uh, Bruce Kulick, you would think, is still on good terms with those guys. He's um, in Grand Funk. He's been with them for a while. But you would, he does a lot of... Um, he's gone to... He's been a speaker and a, a point of focus at the KISS conventions that they've done in recent years. Uh, well, they've done them really since the 90s. But um, in recent years, uh, he's been, I feel like, more active in KISS mania. And you know, he was in the band from 84 to 96. So, you know, he was uh, he's somebody who is, a, I think, a fair degree of a Kiss fan and also got to write some music with the band. So it can't really, you know, it's hard to, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing to be a fan of the band, but then to also be a part of um, the, you know, celebration with fans. So I would think that, you know, he's still on good terms with the guys that he would come out and do something. And um, Vinnie Vincent, we thought maybe he just announced uh, a big uh, bash of some kind, but he canceled a big show, a big round of shows um, recently, too. There's been some strange things going on with him legally with Kiss. Um, he made up with, he, he got close to making up with Gene at one point, and then um, I think one of the things he did was he came out with the Egyptian warrior makeup. Um, which it was a uh, he, he was wearing his old makeup design from 1982. Well, technically, it was early. It had to be early '83. I'm going back. I'm trying to. Th um, they, okay, lick it up. They they took the makeup off for lick it up. But it, yeah, he was on. So he was in makeup until Kiss did that big reveal on MTV and decided we're going to take the makeup off in the fall of um, fall of '83. I want to say when they were. Um, I think they were promoting Lick It Up. I, I've got to go back and look. You know, I'm a kissologist, you know, but even then, I got to, it's like a lawyer. A lawyer knows the law, but you got to go back and check the books just to make sure you're quoting it right. I'm a kissologist, but still have to go back and make sure I'm quoting that book exactly right because I don't want to send Gene after me, <laughs> you know. Um, but, <laughs> okay, yeah, maybe it's not that funny. It's funny to me. So, but it was a different makeup design, possibly to avoid copyright issues. And I think that was maybe part of what I'm speculating, but what may have uh, uh, heated up the debate or the, the tension between Gene and um, uh, Vinnie Vincent. Again, um, you know, he's been trying, Vinnie Vincent's been trying to do a comeback. He's done a little bit of this and then he's disappeared. He did a, a, another thing and then disappeared. So it's, it's been weird with him, but you'd think, you know, if things were smooth there that maybe he'd come out, but I don't think Paul Stanley ever really cared for him. Uh, as years went on, yes, he was in the band and, you know, whatever. He, I'm sure maybe Paul Stanley has some fond memories, hopefully, of that time. But, you know, but that was it. I mean, he was only in the band for, I want to say, less than two years, uh, Vinnie Vincent was. Um, so, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, 
Vinnie Vincent's alive and around uh, when he wants to be, so you'd think that maybe he would do something, a song with those guys, but nothing like that has happened yet. Um, and then, of course, the only other, um, well, I don't know, who else would it be? The only other person is Ace, and Ace and, and Paul are on good terms now. But, unfortunately, Gene and Ace aren't. After the whole thing, the allegation uh, that Ace made uh, that, um, according to his wife, to Ace's wife, that uh, Gene groped Ace's wife. And, and, you know, that became a big dust-up. Gene has really been quiet on that. He said, you know, essentially, um, I don't think he said much. He, I, I take that back. He said something about it. But, um, I mean, let me, let, let's, let's see what he, let's go back and into that and find out what Gene actually said because I don't I don't remember him um, I don't remember him getting into detail there is Gene Simmons responds responds to Ace Frehley, the good old master of Google machine. Uh, okay, uh, so Ultimate Classic, yeah, so, the, okay, so back in February of this year, uh, Gene, it was a brief response is what Gene had said. Um, so Ace had said that, um, had called Gene Simmons an asshole and a sex addict, quote, unquote. That's the first time I've cursed on this show, by the way. I never do that. Um, That was in an outburst following Simmons' comments about why an original lineup reunion uh, would not be a major part of any of the band's current farewell tour. Freely also claimed that Simmons had tried to hit on his wife last year and that um, slanderous references to the guitarist's uh, substance abuse issues had cost him millions of dollars. So in a new interview, Simmons told the LA Times, quote, I'm not going to say going to say anything in print other than I love Ace and Peter, Chris, and thank them forever. They're every bit as important as Paul, Stanley, and myself for launching the band. I'm not going to make any guesses of why the emotions are so um, volatile, but it's happened before. So that was the comment. So I, I, rem- I remember it was not a full statement. It was a partial, it was a sort of addressing it, but not really um, when he was asked about it. So anyway, there's that. We're clear, and we put that out there, because uh, again, I don't want to send Gene after me. But if they're able to bury the hatchet, maybe Ace would do something on this tour. But it's really interesting that, you know, this thing's been this tour's been on for several months now, and again, I, I check Kiss. Uh, I see their feed regularly in my uh, in, in my uh, Twitter account. I've got a whole section on rock music, you know, political news for the Dave Kinchin Tonight Show, and then uh, we've got um, you know the rock of the, the rock and roll stuff. And I've never seen any of the former members doing anything really with the band, so I don't know. I, it, this this really feels like just another Kiss tour. I mean, there's some cool stuff, some cool stage designs, and Tommy Thayer has a new guitar that he's using. There, there's some cool stuff that they're doing, don't get me wrong, but I just don't see... This feels like every other Kiss show that they've done. I mean, at this point, they might as well mix in, if they haven't already, mix in a lot of material from Sonic Boom and, and Monster and, and maybe say more of a farewell to this current lineup of the band, you know. Um, but I always hold out hope. I'm an optimist, so we'll see. So, yeah, we talked about that, um, which, again, you heard that part. And uh, then 
what was cool, uh, the cool part was um, Blabbermouth picked up that interview. I just posted it on YouTube and they picked it up. I, I didn't even tag them or anything. And so they picked it up. Kiss Online, the, the official Kiss website tweeted out a link to quotes um, from that interview. And I think they had some of the video embedded too. But that interview made news twice for Paul Stanley talking about the reunion tour which was upcoming at that point by a few months and then the backstage passbook that he where he writes about um, you know how he did what he did and and those dynamics and he talks about a surprisingly more positive relationship that he has with Ace although he seems to have thrown Peter under the bus again and Peter's not saying anything to anybody and not doing anything to anybody so you wonder why Paul Stanley continues to maybe go after Peter because it, you know this time it seemed maybe unprovoked now i don't know what's going on behind the scenes with all that stuff but that's what it all appeared to be so that was a great joy to be able to do that the only uh, encounter i had with paul stanley before that was you know I, I tweet out rock stars and sometimes i get a response sometimes i don't and i was really surprised this one time i said i said gee i wonder which one at that point paul stanley had written his um, first book um uh, hang on Hang on, we're going over to the bookshelf. One second. Uh, okay, yeah. Of course, I gotta have it in my hand as I talk about it. <laughs> uh, Paul Stanley, Face the Music, A Life Exposed, which I won't even touch because I he autographed and it was a wonderful, wonderful thing. So. Uh, I'm gonna just set. You know what? Let me just set this back over there because I I don't I don't even like touching it. I feel like I have to wipe my fingerprints off of it. Hang on. Coming back. <laughs> it, it's the same thing when I bought uh, my when I bought a Les Paul. It was a studio, but when I bought a Les Paul, I, I love you know it was um, it was a really cool design uh, for a Les Paul studio that I bought. Um, back like 12, 13 years ago. I didn't even want to play it. I just wanted to open up the guitar case, look at it and polish it. So that's kind of how I feel with the Paul Stanley book. It's like, I just want to look at it carefully with gloves, pick up, open up the page that says, you know, uh, live to win, uh, today live to win Paul Stanley. Uh, Cause that was one of my favorite solo albums too, um, live to win from 2006. Uh, so yeah, he put, um, Paul Stanley put out that book and then after that, every member, every original member had a book out. Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley had a book out. Uh, Ace Fraley had his book, No Regrets, which I also have over there. But I missed him by the sign. That's a whole nother story. I, I missed him at the Barnes & Noble. I think it was in Philadelphia. I missed him by like that much for... Uh, I don't think that one's signed, but in terms of, I missed, you know, meeting him and, and the chance to have him sign it. I missed him by like maybe 20 minutes. Ah, anyway, I was rushing over from work, but these things happen, you understand. So Ace, Gene, Paul, Peter, they all have books out. And so at that time, I tweeted at Paul Stanley and I, I said, gee, I wonder, I, I really tagged everybody, Gene, Ace, and then Peter, I don't think is on Twitter, but I hashtagged his name. So I either tweeted at or hashtagged all of the original members and said, I wonder, you know, who, uh, okay, they, they all have books up. I said, I also wonder who, uh, whose solo albums sold the best or whose book, no, whose book, I think I was about the books, whose book, uh, sold the best. And Paul said, you know, mine, mine's better than any of the other, uh, books combined or something like that. It was, it was kind of a, it was fun, but I was surprised. But I, of course I was like, I took a screenshot of a screenshot of a screenshot and said, wow, 
Got a response from Paul Stanley, and I do believe it's him on his Twitter account, or maybe it's his people, but he's he, he the, you could tell by the pictures and the amount that he tweets that it's him doing it. I mean, he might have somebody hold the camera, the phone for him when he does something, you know, saying, hey, we're in Cleveland for this show, whatever, you know, he's going to have somebody holding the camera for him. But, um, you know, that was a, a little bit of a news item for me then. Um, uh, let me see if I can, you know what, let me find that for you. Um, yeah, we'll look for that. So, yeah, it was, uh, that was my first Paul Stanley encounter, but um, the interview was one of the most amazing moments for me, so I just wanted to share that, because, I listen, you know, I'm a fan more than anything, you know, I mean, yes, you know, I'm a journalist, but you can be, I, I am absolutely a, uh, a fan of uh, all things rock, and it's it, one of the, I've said this before, one of the coolest things um, about being a, a, a sort of music show host and, and talking about or being able to do these interviews is you feel closer to the music. You know, you feel, okay, here it is. Here it is. We got it. We got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Uh, retweet. Hang on. Um, ah, I, I see it. So I, uh, I said, uh, of the books, by, why can't I find the response? I'm looking for the response. Twitter usually archives things fairly well. Unfortunately, in this case, they did not. I, yeah, I usually could go back to this. All, well, anyway, the question was, of the books by Gene Simmons, Ace Freely, Paul Stanley Live, and Peter Chris, which sold the best consistent with the solo albums? And there had to be a response to that tweet. Maybe not. Well, I know. Okay. Anyway, I, what I told you was the summary of what he said. You know, my, mine was the best. It's basically what he said. So, yeah. So, a little bit of uh, some fond memories of Kiss and Paul Stanley and wanted to share that with you. Now, this movie, um, this was one of those things. I, I'm lucky I live next to a few theaters that are, they play more independent films and smaller, uh, you know, movies. They'll play some of the big stuff. Like, I think they had... Um, uh, was it Les Miserables? They, no, they had one of those movies that it was huge at the Oscars, and um, I, I can't remember what it was. But so, so they would have big movies sometimes, but they often have smaller ones that you, you're not going to get in a Regal Theater, in a United Artists, whatever. And it was uh, all based on the uh, production of Woodstock. It was it was honestly a cool movie that I recommend seeing. Woodstock, three days that defined a generation, and it's it's rare footage of Woodstock. Oh, by the way, there's another cool movie coming out about music that we have to talk about. It's not gonna, it's not a Bohemian Rhapsody or a a Rocket Man, but um, uh, it's 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 about it's involving one of the Rolling Stones members, former members. We'll talk about that in a second. I saw that in one of the previews, but this movie, uh, Woodstock, three days that defined a generation. Uh, it, it it's all voiceover. You don't see it's it's brilliantly done because you don't see any new interviews. You hear the audio of the interviews, but it's former producers like these young guys in New York who um, one of them who came into some money after his uh, mother had passed away, and he put some money into you know started working in business, but at one point decided you know let's do a big festival, and and these are the guys you hear from the guys who organized Woodstock and. Um, you know, they talked about everything they had to do for the planning, you know, um, 
how they, they they went to big venues like big baseball games and things and they took they took note of how many vending machines vending stands there were the kind of food they had how many restrooms there were um, they looked at exit plans they looked at you know finding the perfect field obviously all of these things that had to be incredibly detailed to do this big festival and of course where they actually did it the property was owned by this farmer who is a conservative guy um, conservative Republican they said but he was also about people just you know I guess a bit of a libertarian people you know living their lives and enjoying freedom and and he welcomed you know 400,000 whatever the number was people for three days on this property for Woodstock and you know it was the height of of course they talk about the tension going on at the time, the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King, the assassination of Senator um, uh, Bobby Kennedy, uh, well, uh, Bobby Kennedy, who was running for president, um, you know, in that cycle, and just that combined with Vietnam and how the country was so divided and how, you know, what they were able to do was for three days prove that everybody could get along and love each other and have fun and listen to rock music. Uh, and, and get away from all of that stuff until Jimi Hendrix came out, and I'll tell you more about that in a second. Um, but the production of it, they, it was it was really wild stuff. Footage, I, I've seen all kinds of video of Woodstock, and I never saw this kind of footage. Um, they they talked about how they they had um, uh, at one point they ran out of like I think uh, supply was it medical supplies? They ran out of like um, food, and so they had food. Um, the, the town they were they were in, they they had um, neighbors who weren't necessarily rockers or into the counterculture at all, but they, they put bread and, and peanut butter and all these things together and they, they, they either drove it in or there were helicopters flying food in for people at the festival because they ran out of, they ran out, you know. There were um, uh, uh, freakout tents for people who had too hard of a, a, sh of a, 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 a I don't know what you call it, a, it wouldn't be a dab, but whatever, a, a hit of LSD, whatever, you know, who hit the drugs too hard. If they hit the drugs too hard, they, uh, you know, they would kind of uh, chill out and try to, you know, become sober in, in these tents and get away from the, the chaos and all of that uh, that was going on. Uh, the drugs so rampant, one woman had said, uh, you know, I'm just standing still and I'm getting high. Uh, so it was, uh, you also had, um, the, they had almost like their own radio station because there were, there were people who lost other people. You know, you imagine you get super high and you start doing whatever else going on and you forget, you know, people get separated anyway, but you can only imagine with the drugs and all of that stuff, which uh, never been in my wheelhouse, I have to say, but you know, I mean, I'm, you know, people do it still and people did it a lot back then, of course. And so if you spaced out or whatever happened, um, you got separated from your crew, you'd go to this entertainment stand or um, uh, info stand and say, hey, I'm looking for this person, you know, and, and they would shout over the big speaker, you know, uh, uh, Joe, uh, your party's looking for you. One person, his wife was having a baby. So they said, so-and-so, uh, your wife, Steve, your wife is having a baby. Uh, you need to come over here. Congratulations. And, you know, who knows where that guy was when his wife was going into labor. And uh, what else? I got some notes from this here. It's the first time I've ever watched a movie in a theater and actually took notes. Uh, well, one of the well, it's a rare thing that I've done if it's more of a documentary kind of thing. Uh, they also had, uh, there were parents who were calling in worried about their kids. And uh, they said, uh, you know, so-and-so, you need to call uh, this motel. Your father's worried about you. 
so, but it was all, it was peace and love and everybody getting together. At one point, um, the, the military choppers, Hueys, they started flying in to bring in medical supplies that they needed because they ran out. And everybody started getting freaked out because, you know, they're thinking, okay, well, we're at, the, the war is going on and now you got these military choppers flying in on our thing. But uh, one of the organizers announced over the big PA, um, they're with us, they're not against us, man, everything's cool. Um, the story behind this guy, Wavy Gravy, uh, just, is it Wavy Gravy or Wavy? Anyway, he was uh, just this, one of the key I guess you could say architects, or if I remember it correctly, but uh, just, just a, this guy was a character, a total character, and I've heard of his name before, but seeing footage of him, it was like, wow, he literally was far out. A lot of these guys were far out. <laughs> and you look at the fashion, and you look at the, you know, everything else, too. But it was peace, it was love, it was everything great, and then Jimi Hendrix came on stage. And when Hendrix came on stage, what he was doing with that guitar during the national anthem um, the quote that one of the uh, producers, uh, folks involved with the uh, showcase had said in the documentary, the quote was, uh, Hendrix, he hooked us up with Vietnam. The, he was creating the sounds of bombs, the sounds of planes, the sounds of war all on his guitar and he talked about how show-stopping it was and sobering it was so really I you just it's it's definitely worth seeing um I don't know if I'd go and see it at a theater again I mean I think you you know it's worth uh seeing it if it comes out on video it's, it's the kind of thing that should have been more on like a Netflix or something I think than an actual movie myself just my opinion I would say but uh it's it's worth it it's definitely worth it uh, the other thing I was going to talk about was Robert Plant. Yeah, so a lot of musicians are doing, well, it seems more musicians now are doing podcasts. I mean, obviously Chris Jericho has a podcast. Uh, we know David Lee Roth has a podcast and does those deep voices kind of like this. You know, we, we kind of did a, a little uh, tribute uh, to it on one of our earlier shows here. Uh, Robert Plant has a podcast, uh, Digging Deep with Robert Plant, and it, it's actually uh, hosted by someone else and and Robert Plant's interviewed and he was talking about Achilles last stand and uh, everything that went into the song how um, you know he had that bad uh, car accident in uh, Europe and he was in uh, he was in such bad shape he was out on vacation with his family and um, lost control of the car and he and his wife uh, were really banged up the kids only had bruises according to an ultimate classic rock article I read around that same time uh, but he talked about the limitations basically that he was or the, the, the tension the uncomfortable tension and things that were going on uh, around the time but also just what he went through is you know, being in a wheelchair and trying to create and and you know after spending several months in a, in a wheelchair and and uh, you know uh, still trying to to be the rock star that he was and uh, the whole thing is um, he, he talks about how in the 70s um, he could not imagine working with anyone else other than the guys in the band. You know, he says that he thought of himself as, a, in, you know, it was a three-piece band with the wedding singer. You know, the the power and the the great skill of those players uh, really was the dominating story in that band, and that he was more of. Uh, he was someone who would put a certain energy with the music, but he, he gave all the praise really to the band, which is really cool for a singer to do. You don't really hear that. You don't really uh, hear something like that from 
a, a legendary rocker. So it's it's a fairly new podcast. That was the third episode. Um, Achilles, he talks about how that song was really about uh, essentially looking for that fix, you know, being doing what you do, uh, being everything that you need uh, to be. How did I write this? Um, it's that, that dynamic of life as being an entertainer, what entertains, what entertainers put themselves through and getting that fix through life, getting that fix as far as, um, you know, I interpret that as maybe, you know, seeking something more and, uh, you know, capturing in on the glory even more. So a very fascinating podcast uh, to listen to. So uh, I, I don't I don't want to disrespect it by talking more about it and not having you listen to that. Of course, we have our original content, too. So there's always a reason to come back and listen to this podcast anyway. But uh, we will do that sometimes. We will listen to other podcasts, uh, Rockstars host, and give our feedback on it because it's all the sharing of intellectual ideas and uh Again, another way to pay tribute to these great rock stars indeed. A quick word. As we wrap up, did you see this thing Gene Simmons tweeted out the other day? It's something that even seems to have floored Gene. So it's a, a tweet where he, he says here, someone please tell me where this is from. Hopefully it's not from a church. Is it from a club, restaurant, or clothing store? It's a stained glass window um, that shows, it's called St. Gene. It shows Gene Simmons' face, a crown, and uh, his famous axe bass, and he's sticking his tongue out. It says St. Jean and then Kiss. So, uh, yeah, someone please tell me where this is from. Hopefully it's not from a church. Is it from a club, restaurant, or clothing store? So something that seems to have thrown Gene Simmons off even, and that's saying something, because I don't think anything would really shock him. Uh, The other thing is, um, looks like yesterday, the Beatles story, or the Beatles-themed love story, I think some are calling it, did pretty well um, at the uh, theaters, uh, raising 17 million. Analysts thought it would bring in uh, about 10 million. Uh, Variety says here the romantic comedy follows an aspiring songwriter, newcomer um, Hamish Patel, who after a freak accident discovers he's the only person who remembers the Beatles. Yesterday was directed by Danny Boyle, Slumdog Millionaire, Train Spotting, also, so some legendary films there, and written by Richard Curtis from Love Actually. Uh, writes to the catalog of John, Paul, George, and Ringo's greatest hits, Don't Come Cheap. So Universal is hoping yesterday has a long and winding road in theaters. The Jukebox musical pulled in $7.7 million from foreign markets, bringing the weekend total to $24.7 million globally. Yesterday appealed to an older female audience. Women represented 56% of ticket buyers, while 75% of moviegoers were over the age of 25. Um carries an A minus cinema score. Uh, so that's cool. I want to see that too. I actually was shocked that came out so quick. Sometimes previews for movies seem like they the previews or the trailers go up like two days before the film comes out. Other times it's like a year before the film comes out. You never know these days. So um, some rock and roll news and talk and fun. Listen, have a great, safe, safe, wonderful 4th of July weekend and uh, we will continue. We'll probably do one more show We'll do one more over the weekend or towards the, you know, we'll say after the 4th of July. We'll do that one after the 4th of July. So enjoy the holiday travel show, the full hour we did before this. And, of course, this one, too. And keep on rocking, my friends. (laughs) 